following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. So today we're going to discuss the science of meditation. As taught within Buddhism and as well uh, as the esoteric teachings of Islam, which we know that this type of science is universal, regardless of the religion, regardless of the culture. So as we will explain this path of meditation and its technical requirements, In relation to the Sufi doctrine, which we know within its heart is pure Gnosticism. Gnosis in Greek means knowledge, but not any type of knowledge we find in a book or a scripture or even a lecture. It is knowledge we experience for ourselves when we come to know God directly, personally. Therefore, it is not intellectual, it is not something to be debated, it is not a theory. It is our cognizance of our real divine inner nature, divinity within our internal nature, that we seek to activate and actualize through the practice of meditation. So in uh, the spirit of uh, Gnosis, we study many religions and traditions. So we emphasize that all religions are universal and teach the same path. Here today we're going to explain how meditation was taught in Sufism as well as Buddhism, which is how we practice within the Gnostic tradition. So you see here the word marifa, which is Arabic for gnosis. It's the same teaching, the same word or meaning. Anyone who possessed real knowledge of Allah, of God, within, was uh, considered an al-arif, al-arif, a Gnostic. So in order to discuss what precisely uh, the purpose of meditation is, and how it is the path that leads to divinity directly, we need to comprehend that what is this divinity that we seek to unite with? We talk about uh, Allah, 
or in Greek Gnostic terms, Christ, as an energy or force, a power that is in a potential state within our interior and which we want to fully develop and actualize. So anyone who fully develops that force completely in their interior is a Gnostic, is an Al-Arif. To understand what divinity is, is essential. And it's important to recognize that divinity cannot be reached with the intellect, with the mind, with the sense of self we commonly carry with us. It is our own uh, mental states which prevent us from truly accessing what God is, what divinity is. It is our own self-will, it is our own egotistical nature which prevents us from knowing divinity, degrees of development. As represented in this first graphic by the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. This uh, Tree of Life represents for us stages of consciousness, stages of spiritual development, from the lowest regions of matter, energy, and consciousness to the highest spheres, which are the superior regions of the being. This tree of life represents the man or the woman made completely into the image of the creator, of the divine. And now specifically, we find above this three circles, which in Kabbalah is known as the absolute. And this is primarily the, the goal we seek in these studies. In uh, Islam, the absolute is known as Allah. And if we know in Islam, the tradition is forbidden to make any graphic representation of Allah. It's impossible. Instead, we can only refer to the Arabic calligraphy, the Arabic words. Just as Moses stated that one must not make any graven image of God, this represents how divinity is profoundly unknowable, in a sense. We do not know divinity because this source, this divine source, is a type of emptiness, to use Buddhist philosophy in Buddhist terms. Yes. Ain Sof and Kabbalah in Hebrew. It means limitless. And so God is limitless. God is a type of cognizance which is empty and devoid of individual self-nature. What do you mean by that individual self-nature? When we talk about me, myself, I, this is who I am, this is who I am as a person, it is this illusion of an individualistic sense of self which keeps us from accessing our real potential. Specifically, we have uh, mistaken notions of, our, of who we are. When someone says, or knocks on a door and, sa and says, it's me, this is, who, this is me in this instant, but through the sense of psychological observation, self-observation, we find that our mind and our emotions, our internal states, are constantly fluctuating. There is no stability or real individuality. There is no real, concrete, independently existing self. There is a churning of psychological factors. There is a fluctuation of thoughts, feelings, and sensations. These things come and go. They're not permanent. Therefore, if we analyze ourselves in this way, we find that when we affirm in a given instant that we 
feel a certain way. I feel happy that I received a bonus for my job. Or I feel resentment towards my partner for criticizing me. Those are transitory factors. Impressions of life come and go. They emerge within our psyche and our mind translates these phenomena and reacts. This is how our psychology functions specifically. Now, if we analyze that sense of self in a given instant that does not, or that only coincides with a given moment, we find that that sense of self really in its, really in its nature is impermanent. It's not eternal. And as we're going to discuss in relation to Buddhist philosophy, we talk about the Eightfold Path of Buddha. This is the path of meditation as taught within Buddhism. And in uh, this lecture, it also relates to gnosis, self-knowledge, and right view. Right view or right perception. So right perception is uh, to be fully cognizant as an individual, fully cognizant in one's consciousness or spiritual principles. So there's a saying by a Sufi initiate. His name is Abu Said. Wherever delusion of your selfhood appears, there's hell. Wherever you aren't, that's heaven. So our common and current state of perception is egotistical. We feel that in a given instant we are maybe proud or angry or resentful or joyful. These states are fluctuating. They are not permanent. If we observe ourselves and analyze that we are not those given egotistical states, but instead we are something more. And this is what we call the consciousness in spirituality. The beginning of Gnosis of God, Maritha, is to fully experience divinity. Because uh, God is empty of I, me, myself, you, us. Because the divine, as a universal and uh, cosmic intelligence, does not have egotistical self-nature. There is no individual will. There is only universal will. And that's what's known in uh, Arabic as Allah. And so in order to fully comprehend what God is, we need to comprehend ourselves. There's a famous Sufi proverb which states, he who knows himself knows his Lord. This is the same teaching as the Greek Maxim at Delphi, which states, man know thyself and you will know the universe and the gods. If we analyze ourselves and if we are sincere, we ask ourselves, do we really know God? Have we conversed face to face in a type of experience such as in the dream state where we receive direct teachings from our own inner divinity? Because it's by analyzing this that we realize that if we don't know God, it means that we do not really know ourselves in depth, what our real true nature, divine nature is. For by knowing ourselves, we will know our being, our Lord, our God. By developing this spiritual perception, spiritual cognition, the con awakening the consciousness, we develop in Buddhism what's called right view, right perception. And when we talk about right view, we're not speaking of morals, as if my view is right and your view is wrong. We're talking about the purity of perception, 
the clarity of perception without obscuration of ego, of self-will, of desire. There is no intellectual deliberation or reasoning. It is a type of cognition which is beyond thought, beyond feeling, and beyond the body. So it is by learning to really observe ourselves in this present state in which we are, in this moment, which the Sufis called, uh, I believe, what means to always pay attention in this instant. Mindfulness is the beginning of real discipline in meditation, which is the path we're discussing here. So there's a famous hadith, which is a uh, Muslim oral tradition, oral saying, recorded within Islam, where the Prophet Muhammad, uh, great master, he stated this, be mindful of Allah, and you will find him in front of you. It's the same uh, teaching as the Sufi proverb. If we are really cognizant of our states in this moment, by learning to self-observe our thoughts, our feelings, and our body, we in turn learn to become cognizant of Allah, of God, or Buddha, whatever name we wish to give to that intelligence which is within us. It also states in this hadith uh, from Nawawi, Recognize and acknowledge Allah in times of ease and prosperity, and He will remember you in times of adversity. So all of us, especially in North America, have a lot of leisure. We have the ability to dedicate ourselves to spiritual studies. Without this type of leisure, which is not accessible to many parts of the world, uh, we cannot really learn the this, this science of meditation. So the fact that we have leisure and time to practice instead of perhaps watching television, we instead have the time and the ability to dedicate ourselves to God, to divinity. Therefore, if we really are serious about knowing God, then it is by establishing a type of discipline with our time of leisure in which Allah, divinity, will recognize us when we are really struggling. Because that practice will strengthen our consciousness so that we can transform our life. So how we develop this type of uh, discipline, or when speaking about the highest knowledge of God, marifa, gnosis, in Buddhism is known as right understanding, right view. So the Buddha taught the following in the scripture Dhammapada. What now is right understanding, right view? One, to understand suffering. Two, to understand the origins of suffering. Three, to understand the extinction of suffering. And four, to understand the path that leads to the extinction of suffering. So right view is to comprehend what in us makes us suffer, which is desire in its depth. I want something. Because I don't have it, I suffer. Envy, because it does not have what it longs for. Seeing the happiness of others wants to inflict suffering on others. Pride and anger, or anger which seeks to destroy the object of its desire, is frustration for not getting what it wants. Pride, which feels resentment or dis-ease for being criticized, is a desire to be praised, a desire to be elevated. 
Desire is ego. Desire is the conditioning of our mind. It is a conditioning of our consciousness, our essence, which we seek to liberate. And so right view is to perceive clearly from the perception of the essence, the consciousness, the soul, whatever name we wish to give to it. But consciousness is, when it's liberated, is our legitimate identity. And so we need to understand uh, how to really meditate if we seek to annihilate or receive the extinction of desire, which in uh, Sanskrit is nirvana. So heaven, as we mentioned, is a state of being. Wherever our self is, our delusion of selfhood is, that's hell. Wherever we aren't, that's heaven. The obstacle is our own selves, our own ego. But we need to learn to perceive our psychology as it is by learning to pay attention. This is the development of right view, which we deepen precisely in meditation. And the path that leads to the extinction of suffering is precisely meditation. There is no other method. There's no other way to fully comprehend that conglomerate, as I mentioned, of disparate psychic functions, conflicting desire, negative thoughts, resentment, anger, which is the snakes represented on Medusa's head, the beast. Each snake is a different defect, and we need to kill Medusa through the shield like Perseus with the shield of self-reflection in which he sees the image of that monster he needs to kill. And so it is by this learning to work with imagery, as we're going to be explaining in meditation, is how we achieve the complete purification of the soul. So it states in, uh, in all, really all traditions of uh, religion that ethics or spiritual conduct is the foundation of every legitimate realization. Those who seek to acquire power in spirituality faculties, abilities, without recognizing the need for spiritual purity, in fact, enter into a very a, a wrong path. Now, spiritual purity is the requisite in order to achieve the complete unification with the divine. And so, as we were explaining about right view, we have the following teaching by Lahiji, who is a, another Sufi initiate. One cannot behold God by the eye of ratiocination derived from reason, meaning the deliberation of intellect or thought. For only through the eye of the heart, which is known as the faculty of inner vision, can one behold God. Therefore, if we are constantly thinking and are churning in our intellect with uh, thoughts, with uh, negative emotions, we cannot see God. This type of perception relates to the heart, which is the essence, the consciousness that needs to be united with God. Now, there are specific requirements. Lahiji continues, As long as you do not focus this eye so as to sharpen its vision with the calarium of asceticism, meaning spiritual practice, spiritual conduct, purgation of the soul, 
purification of the heart and illumination of the spirit, you will be unable to witness the friend's beauty and contemplation. And who is this friend? Is Allah, our being. Contemplation is a process of meditation. Therefore, if we are, if we, in a, throughout a given day, we feed our anger, if we react with resentment or pride towards other individuals, we are deepening the vision of our desire. Because desire also has the capacity to perceive specifically. Gluttony, if it's not satisfied, presents us with many images in order to get the object of the desire, whether it's alcohol or maybe a hamburger or pizza as a superficial example. But desire as a way of funneling our vision in order to make us acquire what it wants above all things. So that vision of the spirit can only be developed by curtailing those attitudes. And the only way to uh, develop the spirit is to uh, be observant of these factors in ourselves. The more we restrain our mind, the more we comprehend our mind, the more we perceive that we are really not the thoughts, feelings, and impulses of our body that we commonly experience, we achieve a sense of self-separation and detachment, which is not a type of blandness of life or inappreciation of the miracle of life. In fact, one lives life very intensely with the joy of God. In order to really comprehend the friend, the being, we need to restrain our negative emotions, to not act on them, to observe. And when those elements arise in a given instant, to observe it, not to feed it, and to act with kindness and love, which is the opposite. So, Lahiji continues. All the masters of the path are in accordance that this reality can be realized only through the guidance of a perfect man who knows and contemplates God. This is, a, this is more in relation to guru yoga, how these type of teachings can only be fully given by or, under, or taught by great masters like Muhammad, Krishna, Buddha. Or in our tradition, we have Samael on Vior, who's uh, the author of the books we have available with Goran Publishing. We seek to become a perfect man or perfect woman, fully reflecting God. And in order to really develop uh, our consciousness, we need to develop ethics, conduct, comprehension of our internal states. In Buddhism, we talk about uh, the ten non-meritorious actions. And I'm only going to be brief with this because it's enough to simply observe ourselves to comprehend what negativity is. So, right view as taught by the Buddha, Gautama, Sakyamuni, he explained that right view is the comprehension of the ten non-meritorious actions. To know in a given moment that anger is arising. To know in a given instant that pride is arising. To know within this instant that there is lust. And to see it objectively. That is right view. Self-knowledge, marifa, or gnosis. So we have the destruction of living beings, which does not only pertain to physical murder or bloodshed and war, but anger. Because anger kills with sarcasm, with cruel words, 
It, it literally brings uh, blood to one's face when one is criticized. And so that is a type of bloodshed. There is stealing, which does not necessarily pertain to physical objects, but how people steal or how we steal ideas, claiming it as our own, taking credit for other people's work, plagiarism. There are many facets to this. Unlawful sexual intercourse, which pertains to uh, what we call fornication and adultery, which is the abuse of the most pristine and powerful energy we possess in our body, the sexual energy, which is a divine force when we cognizantly harness through self-knowledge, marifa, we attain the highest realms of unity with God. So also, many people abuse the word, such as through lying, tail-bearing, harsh language, and frivolous speech. When we speak without uh, cognizance of our words, we, in turn, we strengthen desire. We strengthen ego, specifically. And so we need to learn to save our energy by using our words with cognizance, with real self-direction, with real attention. We need to understand also the three sins of mind. So we've been discussing the sins of body, speech, and mind, or body and speech. The, the sins of mind relate to covetousness, again, a type of desire in the mind, which creates tremendous suffering in this society in which we live. Ill will, but also wrong views. Wrong views pertain to uh, all of our defects and how we are mistaken in that, in that sense of identity in those, in those different defects. Wrong view is the source of all of the other sins. Because as Socrates stated, the greatest sin is ignorance, to not know, to be without gnosis of God. And so it is this uh, requisite, as we look at the next graphic, that we attain to the highest realms of spirituality. Here we have the Prophet Muhammad ascending up the seven heavens which is the same heavens of Nirvana, the same heavens of the Tree of Life of Kabbalah. And it, in order to really access those regions, those realms, we have to develop right view here in this physical plane. And the way that we develop that is precisely through uh, attaining a sense of self-separation from our ego, from our defects, by learning to observe with our essence, our consciousness. Al-Kushari is a great Sufi scholar, Muslim scholar, and uh, he wrote a book called Al-Risala, which is where we provide many of these quotes from this lecture. It's a profound Sufi manual, which talks about very elevated states of being. And so I quote from this text specifically because it can teach us how to meditate in conjunction with the literature we have available. But here we're giving it in the Sufi way. So uh, Al-Kushari stated the following in relation to what I've been discussing. In general, it is the measure of one's alienation from one's own ego that one attains direct knowledge of one's Lord. Therefore, we need to become alienated from pride, anger, desire. Observe it. Do not identify with it. Do not indulge in lust, negative mental states. The more we alienate ourselves from identifying with those states, the greater our knowledge of God is. Because we open up, we save our energy in order to have the light, in order to fully experience God. Al-Kushari states, I heard Abu Ali al-Dakak say, 
One of the tokens of the gnosis of God is that the achievement of deep awe and reverence for God. I quote this because a sign of genuine self-observation, genuine remembrance of God, is to feel a moment by moment a continuous awe of divinity, or that presence which is within the body, within the being, within the heart. It is to constantly have that deep reverence remembering the presence of our real being within us. Self-observation is precisely this. Each moment is not dull. Each moment is not mechanical. It is not a memory or repetition of previous activities. And instead, every moment should be a new state, a novel awareness. We should see things that we never saw before. That's an indication that we are working on self-remembrance of God. So that's what it means to constantly feel that awe. Because one of the tokens of real gnosis of God, Marifa, is to constantly be present and aware of that influence. In order to deepen that state, which is precisely the science of meditation, we need to learn how to silence the mind in a comprehensive and peaceful way. Not to repress not to indulge in desire, neither to run away, neither to feed our mind its uh, desires, but to just comprehend it as it is. This type of comprehension acquires or establishes an equilibrium within the consciousness, within the mind, so that there's this type of stillness in which we can perceive and see clearly. And so Al-Kushari continues discussing... Uh, what Abu Ali al-Dakak said, a Sufi master. And I heard him say, Gnosis requires stillness of heart, just as learning requires outward quiet. If someone's Gnosis increases, his tranquility increases. So the more peaceful we are in our, in our mind and our heart, the more we are able to reflect divinity, to know God. And so the first stage of meditation is to acquire that stability of uh, mind in which we're not tranquility in which the mind is not afflicted by so many thoughts and the heart not afflicted by so many emotions so uh, another Sufi master in the next graphic we have here we see a Sufi praying or meditating the following is a the following excerpt is from uh, a scripture called Atar, I believe, or a book by, called Atar, by Dual Nun Misri. This is the name of this initiate. He explains that the success of meditation is first tranquility, so that when the mind is serene, the mind or the consciousness can reflect the imagery of God, which is the, the real image of God, knowledge of God. The key to success in worship lies in meditative reflection, Fikrat is the Arabic term. Whoever persists in such reflection in the heart will behold the invisible realm of the spirit. The reason being, if our, the lake of our mind is serene, it can reflect the teachings of God, which comes in images within meditation or in dream experiences. Whoever contemplates God through keeping watch over the thoughts which pass through his heart will be exalted by God and all his outward deeds. So it is, again, beginning to learn to observe ourselves, 
that we acquire tranquility. We don't identify with so much of our problems. That saves energy in which it empowers the consciousness. And it allows, our, allows us to focus and concentrate with deeper attention and to go deeper in our comprehension of divinity. So again, relating to uh, what this science really entails, we seek to activate what is known as imagination. We're discussing right view, right perception, pure perception of the consciousness. The word imagination relates to this. People think when they hear the term imagination that it means fantasy or fairy tale, something that's made up. But it simply is the capacity to perceive images. Images uh, allow us to know reality, just as much in the physical plane as in the internal planes. And so imagination is precisely the capacity to perceive with the consciousness. It is the ability to perceive spiritually. So when we meditate, we seek to activate this type of perception, to perceive images in meditation. But that's only possible if the mind is serene. If it's too chaotic, we cannot reflect images. That's why drowsiness is essential to this practice. Images come from inside you, either from your ego or it can come from the being. And we make a difference between the two, and we're going to explain how this is, how this is so. Typically, we, uh, uh, our imagination, our capacity to perceive is very egotistical. Meaning, typically, if we, if we have dreams, they are uh, belonging to our mind. They are not objective. The way to learn that science is precisely what we're going to be explaining. But in general, imagination is the capacity to perceive. And typically, our perception is negative and subjective. We, we usually see through the filter of our mind. So... Samael Vior, who is the founder of this tradition, of the modern Gnostic tradition, he explained in his book, Igneous Rose, what we need to develop in order to be real meditators. We must only extract the golden fruit from reasoning. The golden fruit of reasoning is comprehension. Comprehension and imagination must replace reasoning. Imagination and comprehension are the foundation of the superior faculties of the understanding. Again, understanding is right view. So comprehension is a novel state, as I've been mentioning. We should see each moment as it is, as it is new, uncontrived, non-artificial, something that is particular to this moment. Comprehension is a result of seeing the mind for what it is, and it's like a shock. It shouldn't be something dull or cloudy or obscure. It refers to a very sharp and clear perception of what things are. And it typically it makes us go, my Lord, I've never seen this before. It's, it's new and novel. Comprehension is precisely that. Imagination allows us to perceive internal imagery, either in dreams or when we meditate. Now, Specifically, comprehension and imagination. Comprehension results from stability of mind. If we are constantly identified with our problems, we are not comprehending life. We're just being victims of our own desire. Comprehension results from stability of mind. And so imagination and uh, self-observation is really, we say the same thing. Extenuations of the same principle. Because to perceive with images like we do in this physical world is a result of perception. But 
The spiritual type of perception we seek to develop is a result of developing spiritual ethics. In order to develop imagination, when we sit to meditate and to perceive that type of imagery, we need to deepen our self-observation because that's a very profound way of experiencing psychic imagery, so to speak. Anger has a very particular appearance. So does vanity or lust. And in dreams, if we see our own ego, it, they take on animal forms. It's very grotesque. But we learn to, if we learn to perceive that in our everyday moment here and now, we prepare ourselves for meditation. This is why, uh, again, in the scripture Al-Risalah, Al-Kushari said the following. Al-Jurari, a Sufi master, said that whoever does not establish awe of duty and vigilance in his relationship to God will not arrive to disclosure of the unseen or unveiling or contemplation of the divine. So unveiling is to tear away the veil that blocks us from our spiritual sight. And contemplation is to, through, through that type of perception, to intuitively cognize or know what God is with, or what God seeks to teach us within meditation or in dreams. So contemplation, interesting, uh, the, wor the word contemplation in Arabic says a lot for us. And it's, the word is mushahedah. Uh, now in Islam, one of the pillars of their teaching is the shahidah which is the bearing witness to, of the faith, which they, the Muslims when, uh, or the disciples who enter Islam, they would say, La ilaha Allah, Allah, Muhammadun Rasul Allah, which basically means there is no God but Allah. Allah is Allah and Muhammad is this prophet. Now, to bear witness of God is to really comprehend God from meditation. So a real Muslim, someone who submits to God, is someone who meditates. So many, there are many Muslims in the world today who have no contemplation of God at all. Therefore, they, are, they, they really don't give witness of God. To bear witness is to experience God through meditation. That's shahida, to bear witness. Or contemplation, mushahida, which we're going to explain uh, more in depth in relation to this the technicalities of the practice of uh, imagination. So many people, they long to know God, to perceive God in meditation, but don't have the capacity because it needs to be developed. So when I mentioned to you, uh, one must establish awe of duty and vigilance in one's relationship to God, that awe of duty is to have reverence and respect for the practices that we have, whether in uh, Gnosticism or in different religions. To have reverence for the practices to the point that we are consistently practicing every day. Because if we don't have awe that is born from fulfilling the practices, one cannot really attain to vigilance. Because in order to attain vigilance, we need to practice. Now, uh, when we meditate, many people long to have that uh, experience of God, to perceive God. So this is why uh, it was stated in Al-Quran, in uh, Surah 2, which is the second chapter, verse 18. Those who have no knowledge, Gnosis, Marifa, many words for this uh, teaching, say, why does not Allah speak to us or come to us with a sign? So said those who were born before them, words similar to what they say, 
alike are their hearts, and we have certainly made the signs clear for our people who have certainty. Now, what are these signs? When we meditate, we look for signs, or we want to receive the teachings of God, which appear through images. God speaks in symbols. God speaks in an allegorical and symbolic language, which comes to us through images and meditation, or even in the dream state. We have, if we are very awake and in tune, we may recognize when God is working, but that takes a lot of intuition. Sometimes God speaks in thoughts too. So the way that we perceive that, that objective type of thinking, is a type of it's a, it's a type of image, is a type of cognizance which strikes our consciousness. But in order to experience that, we have to really learn how to meditate. And so those who sought signs from Allah. What they, want, they wanted to receive signs from God. But meanwhile, only those with certainty in meditation know those signs directly. So uh, to explain this quote from uh, the Quran, Al-Kushari uh, Al states the following, Knowledge does not come about except by prior fulfillment of its conditions. That is, one must examine things in a pertinent and relevant way. So what does it mean to examine things in a pertinent and relevant way? It means to sit down, to close one's eyes, to forget about the problems outside, and to analyze, not with thought, not with emotion, but with a type of cognizance born from self-observation, in which we analyze in a pertinent and relevant way our daily life. To be more clear, knowledge is uh, born as a result of this type of analysis, perception, being vigilant, observing ourselves and, we, and acquiring that type of self-knowledge, seeing ourselves that, in a way that we've never seen ourselves before. That's the type of knowledge we seek to cultivate. And so the prior conditions of meditation is that we fulfill this vigilance throughout the day so that we learn to concentrate our mind when we sit to practice, instead of getting distracted by thoughts and then forgetting that we're sitting and meditating, but instead to have a stability of consciousness. So knowledge, the prior fulfillment is concentration, which we develop by learning to pay attention, not forgetting that we're practicing. Al-Khoshari continues, that when hints of the divine become continuous and clear demonstrative evidence has been obtained, the perceiver through the succession of lights and his deep reflection upon them, becomes seemingly independent of the consideration of proof. This is the state of certainty. When we uh, acquire that type of serenity of mind in which we can perceive images in the consciousness, those are lights. And sometimes an image will emerge. We're sitting relaxed, observing ourselves. Suddenly, a landscape appears. We see a waterfall, we see people talking, we see a scene played out in, in a living drama. Something that is very spontaneous and shocking, it's new. This is a, these are the lights that Al-Kushari is speaking about. Images, lights, images or experiences, which come when we, are, when we are not expecting it, but when we are just open. We're serene, we're reflecting on ourselves, meditating, concentrating, to not be distracted. And then suddenly these images appear. 
it's not like we build it or contrive it like mechanically. It comes intuitively when we least expect it. They come as a result of relaxing and allowing the mind to be open. And therefore, the more one experiences these type of images in meditation, one does not necessitate so much intellectual consideration of proof. Meaning the intellect is not saying, I need evidence of God. Meanwhile, we experience God and the mind just shuts up. It becomes silent. In order to understand uh, how to differentiate between that which is objective and that which is subjective in nature, we refer to in this teaching to what's known as uh, the three stages of initiation. Now, the term initiation, just to be brief, pertains to how we begin a new way of life, to initiate. It means to initiate a new type of perception in which we see life in a new way. Now, we discussed imagination. That's the first step. We talk about inspiration and intuition. Imagination is the capacity to perceive images. Inspiration is the reaction of the psyche or the soul towards that symbol. It feels that there's some kind of meaning there. And intuition is direct cognizance and understanding, mushakeda, contemplation of what that image or symbol means. So we're going to explain this very detailed. But first I'd like to explain to you uh, from this slide a teaching of uh, Ibn Kabbalai, who simply emphasizes the points I've been making. When the seeker realizes the station of contemplation, meaning that having attained a certain development of contemplation in meditation, which is witnessing God's essence, comprehending and encompassing all phenomena, meaning God is in everything. And the statement from Surah 41, verse 53, Does not your Lord suffice since he is witness over all things? Meaning God sees everything. There's nothing hidden from Allah, from Christ, from the being. And so by becoming continuously aware of the presence of God within our interior, we learn to experience the internal worlds. He says, he continually witnesses lights from the mundus invisibilis, the invisible world. From such a mystic's perspective, this world and the hereafter are one and the same. This can only be realized by a vision, type of imagination, that is all heart and spirit, not a view bound by mud, mere mud and mire. So again, this refers to our perception, can either be objective or subjective. Those who attain the highest degree of knowledge fully develop their capacities for imagination. Another word for this is clairvoyance. We're just using different terms. We use imagination because it, this is to point out that everybody has that capacity, but we just need to develop it objectively. Now, typically our, our view is bound by mud and mire, meaning with, when we act with anger, we, are, we perceive through anger. If pride, we act through pride. And so we only see through these given defects. But we need a vision that is liberated and free, that is not conditioned by ego. And the way that we develop that is precisely through uh, the work with these three stages are called imagination, inspiration, intuition. Imagination is perception. Inspiration is the recognition of a symbol, of a meaning. There's something hidden there. It inspires the heart. Intuition is the understanding 
the contemplation, knowing directly what that symbol entails and what it teaches. It is perception, but it's us. It's perception, but knowing what one is seeing. That's a type of uh, cognizance which is only born as a result of uh, uh, spiritual discipline. Those who attain the heights of spiritual perception, they perceive both the invisible world and the physical world at the same time. That's very elevated. But how we get to that point is by learning to meditate and to learn to perceive that kind of imagery when we are sleepy, when we're practicing. Samael and Vior states the following in this book, Igneous Rose. Imagination, inspiration, and intuition are the three obligatory paths for the initiation. We reach these ineffable heights by means of concentration, meaning to focus on one thing and not to be distracted by others. Meditation, which means to receive information and to comprehend it. Receive new information, things we've never seen before. And he says, and samadhi. Concentration, meditation, and samadhi. Samadhi simply means ecstasy in uh, Sanskrit. But it's the ecstasy of being, the soul being united with God. It refers more specifically to the soul that is pulled out of the, the cage of the mind, the ego, in order to see objectively in the consciousness. Now, specifically, we talk about the, the genie in the Latin's lamp. That lamp is the ego. The genie is our consciousness that can perform miracles if we know how to extract that essence, that consciousness. So, uh, whosoever has reached these ineffable heights of intuition has converted himself or herself into a master of samadhi. So, it's interesting uh, uh, that also the Sufis talk about this same teaching uh, given many centuries ago which some island of your explain in more conventional terms to be clear and to understand the science more profoundly. The Sufis call this uh, these three stages awareness. Mukhadara is the beginning, it says, in, by Kushari. Then follows disclosure, Mukashafa. Then contemplation, Mushahida. So these are just the Arabic terms for the same teaching. I'm not saying it's important to know the Arabic, but it definitely demonstrates a lot for us that this teaching was given in very ancient times. So Samal and Vior states in uh, Igneous Rose, In the beginning of meditation, the disciple perceives fleeting images. Later, the disciple totally perceives all the images of the supersensible worlds. The first stage of knowledge belongs to imaginative knowledge. To know through images, perception, whether in dreams or in meditation. Now, uh, Al-Kushari states the following. Awareness, the same thing, from the same Arabic root as hudur, presence, is presence of heart, which may be produced by the coming together of innumerable small proofs of what is real. So what are these small proofs? Meaning we see images, lights. These are proof that we are developing, that we are beginning to see God. It is still behind the veil even if the heart is present with the overpowering, overwhelming power of the practice of remembering God. So we may feel in our heart we are remembering God. We feel that presence in our level, but we don't necessarily see the entire picture. So that comes about when the veil is torn, meaning we perceive the images in a more clear way. So small innumerable proofs are those images or experiences, sounds, even smells, tastes that we can experience 
when we're meditating that come to us as a type of psychic phenomena, not physical, but internal. So the second stage is uh, uh, inspiration. So Samaylan Vyor continues. The disciple contemplates many images that are mysteries for him because he does not understand them. Yet as long as he perseveres with his practices of internal meditation, he will then feel that the supersensible images produce certain feelings of happiness or pain. The disciple then feels inspired in the presence of the internal images. He has thus arisen to the stage of inspired knowledge. So when we're meditating, we see an image or we see have an experience. And then we feel in our heart that this is something objective. We are inspired. We realize in our heart, we know with our heart, that this experience comes from God. The intellect cannot debate it. We, we know that it comes from our being. It's a type of conscious discrimination of the psyche. So the Sufis help elaborate on this. Al-Kushari continues in Al-Risala. After this comes disclosure, inspiration, which means in disclosure in Arabic is unveiling, mukashafa. After this comes disclosure, which is the presence which has the quality of proof itself. In the condition, the heart has no need of pondering indications or searching for the road, nor seeking protection from occasions of uncertainty. So what does it mean to not, no longer be looking for the road? It means that we receive the image or symbol from God. We know it comes from our being. Therefore, we investigate that deeply. We concentrate on that experience and we, we meditate further. Concentrating on that experience and opening our consciousness to receive a deeper teaching. So inspiration is precisely the, the condition of the heart that says, I don't need to look for anything else. I know that God gave me a teaching. Therefore, I need to meditate further on this. So there's a teaching in the Old Testament that says, a dream uninterpreted is like a letter unread. Therefore, any experience we receive when we're meditating, we need to learn to develop that inspiration. So I'll continue with this quote. Uh, still, inspiration is... Uh, one is not seeking protection from occasions of uncertainty, and it is not screened from the nature of the unseen. Meaning, we're not blocked away from the path of the truth. We, we found it, what we need to focus and meditate on. The last stage is actually is, uh, intuition, is actually comprehension of the symbol or experience. So again, some island viewer states an igneous rose. Later, when he sees an internal image, instantaneously he knows its significance and the reason for many things. This is the third stage of knowledge known as intuitive knowledge. So it means to know exactly what the symbol means. Now, what's important to remember is that any symbol or dream experience or anything we perceive internally uh, in meditation has to relate to our physical life. Otherwise, we have to discard it. Meaning that any teaching God gives to the consciousness is telling us how to live our life physically. It's not some, not necessarily something that is far beyond us, although there are experiences where we can, through intuition, we unite with God directly. That's a very elevated state of being. But um, what I'm talking about is, more importantly, the type of symbols and, and teachings that a master gives in the internal planes or in meditation, or uh, what our being teaches us in dreams in order to uh, help us guide our physical life. So that's why we make a direct distinct, we make a direct uh, in, 
integral analysis of our physical life with the symbols provided. Because those symbols are just teaching us how to live more practically and to deepen our relationship to God. So in relation to intuition, which is precisely that comprehension of the dream experience or the images that we receive in meditation, Al-Kushari states the following. Then comes contemplation, which is the presence of the real without any remaining doubt. Suddenly, the sky of one's hidden inner, hidden inner being, Sir, becomes clear of the clouds of the veil. And the sun of vision rises in the sign of honor. Again, we're talking about signs, images. When we look at a sign on the street, we see a stop sign or, or a yield sign. They tell us what we need to do. So same thing spiritually. God gives us signs. And the sun of vision rises in the sign of honor, meaning we are honored when we receive these experiences. The truth of contemplation is, as Junaid said, finding the real comes with losing yourself. So again, going back to the beginning of the lecture, we talked about heaven is the absence of our ego, absence of self, but it's the direct perception of God. Hell is when we are identified with desire. So everything we've been discussing, it pertains to developing right perception. So we synthesize this in meditation as imagination, inspiration, and intuition. And to conclude, I'd like to quote for you again uh, a teaching by Al-Kushari, and then I'll, we can open up for questions. I'd also like to elaborate on also some practices that we have in this tradition in order to develop imagination, inspiration, and intuition. But to conclude, I have uh, this statement by Al-Kushari, which explains a lot for us and how this path is a gradual process. No one has improved upon the explanation of the achievement of contemplation, Mushahida, to bear witness of God, given by Amr ibn Uthman al-Maki. The gist of what he said is that the light of God's manifestation falling upon the heart, one after the other, without a break, with no veil or disruption intervening among them, resemble flashes of lightning, seemingly linked together continuously. So it's so these experiences are a shock. If we, we experience that, that, that profound perception that we've seen things, it's something completely new, it means that we are awakening that sense. Now, when we develop more, they happen more often, continuously. For just as the darkest night, through the rep repetition and persistence of lightning flashes in it, we take on the brilliance of day, when continual divine manifestation takes place in the heart, the heart is full of daylight, and not night. So with time, we learn to perceive these type of experiences frequently. But it's a patient process of developing ourselves specifically through spiritual conduct by working with the practices we have in the tradition and uh, learning to meditate. So I'll just conclude uh, with a practice you can use to develop imagination. And it's explained in the book Teron Kabbalah as well as a book called Endocrinology and Criminology by Samael and Vior. He says so in order to develop imagination or right view, right understanding, we sit down and we take a plant, one that we love and that we, we appreciate. We sit down, we close our eyes, or first off, we look at the plant itself. We close our eyes and we visualize, we imagine the seed of the plant growing into a uh, full vegetable, into a full plant. 
We imagine its birth process, how it gains life, and then we examine in our imagination all the different constituent parts that make up this plant, specifically the nucleus, the cellulose, the corpuscles, and some island viewers are very specific. We need to be very exact and uh, uh, logical about how we analyze. So we need to have some a little bit of knowledge of the anatomy of plants, but we want to visualize that to be specific. So when the mind is equilibrated, we imagine the different elements of the plant and we learn to perceive that image of the plant. It's life, it's, it's vitality, it's, it's development. And then we imagine how that plant deteriorates and decays. With practice, we will learn to travel out of the body <clears throat> in the dream state after uh, the chakras or the, 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 the astral senses of our internal bodies begin to activate through the practices of imagination. We learn to travel out of the body and then we can converse with the elemental of that plant in which we have in our home. So we learn to see the soul or the, the spirit of the plant through practice by awakening in the dream state to converse with that elemental. But first, we need to develop imagination in order to fully uh, actualize that. Any questions? What you just said now is exactly what Rudolf Steiner said as an example. He mentions the plant. He even, he even goes to the seeds. He says, he says you could even take a live seed and you could take one he, he said an imitation of that live seed live seed made out of wood has no etheric force around it right that, but the other one does but he also mentions the plant in the process of growth the process of decay just what you mentioned right here Samuel Andriola mentioned same thing in his book called science Steiner goes into detail with it he said feelings will come around the heart after a while Right. Feel it, but it's the same thing. It's the plant. It's interesting. Right. And there are different practices we also have for inspiration and intuition, which are available in the books. What's the importance of understanding the anatomy of a plant? That's in order to be exact in our visualization. <laughs> so it's good to maybe look on the internet and examine, okay, what makes up the plant that I have? So that you can take that image and then when you sit to meditate, fully focus on that. The reason being is this. Meditation, as some island viewer states, is very exact. It is logical. It is precise. It cannot be vague, obscure, or incoherent. It has to be based on reasoning. Not necessarily the subjective reasoning that we know and experience, but a type of logic which is very exact. Therefore, we have to be precise in our practices. I believe the saying by the Master is uh, that we need logical thought and precise concept in order for the mind to be balanced. So meditation is not spacing out or being vague or just seeing images and then just drifting off into sleep. It's very exact. As the Sufi teachers were explaining, it's a lightning strike. When we look out at a storm, it's very profound. The elements of nature battling. And the lightning is a representation of Christ. Is an energy that strikes and emerges within the soul when the soul is ready. But in the same way, we receive flashes of illumination and uh, knowledge from our internal experiences. So just to synthesize, right view is, uh, again, learning to see without the obscuration of the ego. And the way that we develop that is precisely through imagination, inspiration, intuition. Always given by the Sufis, muhasaba, um, mukashafa, and mushahida. Just to use the Arabic. Is it possible to know God with any... To fully know God, 
we have to have no attachment. But there are degrees of cognizance. When I asked you about attachments, and that I don't, I wonder sometimes if, if it goes obviously beyond material. But um, I'm not as well versed in scriptures in the Bible. But it, I recall reading when uh, when Jesus was on the cross. It, it I, I sensed that that he had a sense of a t uh, detachment from when it was stated that that's his mother, right? Like his true mother and father are more spiritual than how he was trying, like he was trying to distance himself where, you know, I don't know if I'm saying it the correct way, but is unattached also dealing with family? We carry psychological attachments in our mind. Or is it exemplified by the path of Jesus? He specifically taught that path of non-attachment. It's a very Buddhist teaching because in very painful circumstances, he learned not to identify with his accusers or his persecutors, specifically those people who sought to kill him. And it's a very profound psychology to possess because to not retaliate, whether with the verb, the word, or one's actions, or even in one's mind, takes a lot of self-restraint. To become fully cognizant of this fact, we need to fully abandon our mistaken perceptions of self which in a given instant lead us to the unconsciousness, unconscious states of the psyche. Conscious reactions to what, what happened? Yes. To react and behave mechanically. You know, one thing I noticed, one of the biggest downfall for society would have to be television. Because how, does, how do people observe if they're spending so much time? People are typically hypnotized by film and television in which by perceiving the images we forget ourselves. We do not really, are not cognizant of what we're thinking and feeling. People watch television and they jump up and they, they're screaming at the television whether in a football game. This is a very profound state of sleep which even while we are not watching film all day, this is our common and current state of being which is only recognizable when we observe ourselves. Talked about uh, you know uh, Mozart being an initiate who practiced through his uh, his work. Are there known uh, initiates of of the Black Lodge that we would know of? There are there are uh, there are certain musicians that are from the Black Lodge. Musicians, you said? Yeah, there's a not to get too sidetracked, but there's a man named Paganini, which some island viewer mentioned was a sorcerer. Really? So we talk about sorcerers and demons and angels and magicians the thing to think about what's important is that so long as we have ego we are demonic but if we have no ego we're angels so an angel is a perfect being a perfect man or woman is it always through meditation or can it be going for walks and just thinking remembering the presence of god should be felt in every moment but Meditation is the science that takes us to those highest regions as represented by the Hebraic Kabbalah, the tree of life, as we demonstrated. I found, and I think in the literature somewhere, they, they mention it also, first thing in the morning seems to be a very good time. Uh, you should mind, if you start out of bed, so you didn't have a nightmare or maybe a dream, so you dreamt. You know, it's more conducive, I found. In fact, they say with no light, just a candle, that helps a lot. You dark in the room, it's quiet when, when you first get up. And to me, I found that's very conducive to stilling the mind as a prerequisite to meditation. And even 
bathroom also. Even if they're silent sometimes. As opposed to uh, working all day and then coming home and say, I got, you know, I have to meditate. You should do this every day. We had all the turmoil over the events that took place during the day. Early morning, it seems to be, and I think Steiner says it too, among others, it helps a lot. It's more conducive. Drowsiness allows us to uh, perceive in a deeper way the different images within our interior. So either when we, whenever we are sleepy is the best time to practice, but typically in the morning hours which have a lot of positive energy uh, in which we are naturally relaxed and we can, it's easier for us to perceive images, signs from God because uh, we already came from the dream state. We're naturally, we just came from sleep. So meditation is a balance between vigilance and physical drowsiness. We need to be clear in our perception, but physically we need to have that drowsiness so that we can access deeper levels of the mind. Have you ever had a moment where you had that, 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 that sight that image that was put in your head and you just felt you understood it at that moment yes did you still meditate is Medi- it because just in case you're wrong because i've had that instance where i just felt in my heart i understood it and i was wondering if i should meditate to ch- even when you're absolutely sure you should meditate that's the safe thing to do now i've had many experiences like that from years ago that I still meditate on because they're very profound and which I, I'm still to this day experiencing the results of those experiences internally. Does that to ensure that you absorb it all? Yes, and sometimes God gives us an experience years ago, maybe in the past we had an experience, but it only comes to fruition later because we're not we're only mature enough to really understand that at a later time. That's known as prophecy. You call that a dream, correct? This applies to dreams. It also applies to our experiences in meditation because they're the same thing. So you could experience it when you're in that between zone of before you go to bed, right? Where you're out of sleeping, or when you know you're dreaming an image, but you feel that you know you're asleep. It's the same same teaching, okay. whether 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 in dreams or in meditation. It's the same thing. How we perceive life physically translates into how we dream in the internal planes or the kind of things we experience in meditation. So it's just a deepening of cognizance, deepening of entering into subconscious levels of the mind. We seek to become conscious of all that. Now the way that we do it is by developing first imagination. Is the hummingbird one of the symbols, that one of the animals that was uh, idolized because of that aspect of taking a moment to observe, to, to find joy, correct? Because the hummingbird meant, or the blue jay, both one and the same, meant joy and observance. The bir- and, and, uh, in the internal planes, birds typically represent virtues. Yeah, you know, the world of dreams is, is, is something you know, to be subjective, to get into the objective. There are times when you could dream, you wake up, it's clear, you know, you know what you were looking at, but you could, how am I, you know, what does this mean? You know, this mountain putting a sheet on a bed or something like that. Because then you say, this is bizarre. Where did it come from? I can't reason. But it was there in the dream. You, you have a feeling that it meant to tell you something. But, uh, the way to know for certain the meaning is to, one thing, study the different teachings that we provide, the symbols that are in different religions. Because God speaks in, to different symbols that are presented in different traditions. And, you know, we need to really meditate deeper. So it's a combination of study and practice. And the more you 
destroy your ego, you narrow down those dreams that have nothing to do, you know, with egotistical mind thoughts. Right. So, so everything we're explaining today, precisely in relation to this statement, is uh, right view to see with clarity, objectively, our psychology. And so, the more we eliminate desire in meditation or ego, the clearer our perception becomes. So it's a gradual process. And uh, here we're talking in a general sense in relation to these three stages of meditation. Now, don't think that one first enters imagination, imaginative knowledge, and then it's a plateau. And then second, inspirational knowledge. A second plateau. And then third, intuitive knowledge. Instead, it's a dynamic thing. You can experience an image, feel inspired, and immediately know its meaning in one moment. Would you say that the tarot symbols are related to it, but not... I don't know, according to people who, who teach the Tarot, those are real symbols there, even though they look like medieval images. Right. They're meant to, uh, uh, you know, if you could see behind the, the same thing, they, they, as far as the, the image, you say Tarot image, then if you can develop yourself to where, where you're inspired by them, but then they claim that those images start to morph. You may experience different things, like images changing or receiving new images. The thing is to maintain concentration and to observe. Don't forget that you're meditating. Because the problem is we often we fall asleep again, we don't remember what happened, or we get excited and then we snap out of the experience. Instead, we need to develop a type of uh, uh, indifference. Not to crave, not to run away, but to achieve that middle path, which is known as vigilance or tranquility. And my image can only be deciphered through me and God, not me speaking to somebody and say, hey, help me out here. Yeah, don't. I would say don't rely on any other person for a book or anything like that, you know. You have to rely on your knowledge of scripture, the symbols of religion, and your own knowledge of your life and your relationship to your being. Because that is what determines your understanding. Even if I were fully clairvoyant and I could see in you and say, well, you know, I know what the meaning of your dream is it still doesn't necessarily give you that real comprehension on your own. That's something we all develop through individual practice. It's good to ask for advice when we need it. And sometimes, you know, an instructor can help us understand what a certain symbol means. And then the thing is to meditate deeper and to reflect on that. Do you see, you know, I'm sure you've achieved this, but you've seen great results being very observant at least, let's just say, an entire day. Yes. The more, the, the deeper we uh, strengthen our vigilance of God, the more we experience. That's why those who do not establish awe of duty and vigilance in one's practice will not attain an unveiling, being able to perceive that kind of imagery. Because it's so simple to forget about it. It's just something's always happening that you catch yourself. Oh, this is the meaning of uh, jihad, war against oneself. Spiritual war. So vigilance is to not sleep. To be vigil is to not lose one's attention. To not forget one's God. That means to self-observe. Steiner again said, here again in meditation, uh, to develop a sense of expectancy. Which is like a child, like on Christmas Day, coming down the stairs. And to add... And to add to Steiner's teaching, that's a longing of the consciousness to know God. 
in a sense, we say we shouldn't have expectations for what we want to experience. Instead, we should open up our consciousness to simply be. To have vigilance is to be in this instant. To not think of anything else. To not contemplate anything other than God within us. To expect hurts us. Expectations are typically of the mind. We desire an experience, but we don't get it. So we need to curtail this kind of behavior. Instead, we should long for God. It's a different feeling, different type of cognizance or emotion. You mentioned, uh, what's your definition of uh, the essence which you found in The essence uh, is the is the Gnostic term we use for consciousness. Yes, but the consciousness I am speaking about, which uh, is our divine nature, is liberated consciousness, because all of us in our current state have consciousness which is channeled and trapped within the cage of the ego, cage of the mind. This is our obstacle that prevents us from knowing God. And so, we seek to liberate the consciousness that is trapped in desire, in ego, in multiple senses of selves or defects, which are a conglomerate. Many defects, but we refer to it as ego, as the subjective self, which is really many senses of selves. In, every, in one of the books, I, can't, I think it was Revolutionary Psychology, is, it, is essence something that grows in us the early years of our life? Yes. The consciousness uh, in infants is naturally present. And this is the lost infancy we seek to develop through meditation. You've been talking about the negative aspects of desire. But also, would there be a, would there be a positive desire to want to spiritualize yourself? Yes. That's positive. That's desire also. In Buddhist terms, desire relates to ego. But amongst the Sufis, interestingly, interestingly desire is a, means longing. So we use the term longing specifically to refer to how the consciousness aspires. So we use that terminology more specifically. We refer to desire as animal ego, animal desire. Lust, pride, etc. But there's the desire of the spirit in poetical terms refers to that intimate longing that the Sufis speak about. I have a question about coveting. Okay. So coveting is wrong. But is it in our nature to want? Because mm-hmm. we're programmed that way. One thing is to desire from the mind. One thing is to long for the well-being of others from the consciousness. So when we talk about the consciousness, it's, it's not a complete abnegation of any type of selfhood. It's a type of individuality, which is not what we commonly and currently experience. I make that strong demarcation because there's a tendency to want to fortify what we already have within, to, to justify what we have within, when the truth is a lot of that is very negative. One thing is to have longing for God and to have that type of virtues develop in the consciousness. That's a, another thing. That's, a, that's really our true human nature. So instead of coveting, we should be longing for God. Instead of coveting what another person has, we should feel grateful for what the other person has, for their own well-being. 
that's a type of altruism or virtue that is born when we comprehend that defect and annihilate it in meditation. So that's the goal, to annihilate the prison of the mind, the desires, so that the virtues of God are born. Yeah, separate. We need a sense of self self-operation, observing ourselves like we're watching a film. Now, we shouldn't try to run away from what we're seeing. Neither should we feed what we're seeing, feeding the desire. It's the middle path taught by Buddha. This is the tra- this is what develops real tranquility, in which we can develop what's called right view, to perceive God, to in this instant, not in the future, not in the past. What about the reprehension? In other words, the Disgust at seeing the defect, that's going to bring an emotion called disgust. As now, if you're looking at it objectively, saying, well, you know, in other words, you're toning it down. I see it, but it's not bothering me that much, maybe the way it should, because it is negative. I don't want to get too deep into this. It is emotion evolved here. You know, what would be the detachment is one thing. If I'm detached, I'm not that resentful toward that negative emotion. Is that right? That's the mind reacting to the mind. Okay. Now, that's a, that's a mechanical type of observation which every student develops when approaching the science because we see a lot of ugliness that we don't want to face. So the mind sees that and reacts and doesn't want to face it. But the consciousness simply observes and lets it be and doesn't worry about it. The consciousness can experience emotions which are superior in nature. And to experience that, we can listen to great symphonies of music like by Beethoven, Wagner, Chopin. That, ex- that expresses pure conscious emotion. So it's very dynamic. It's not when I'm saying detachment, I don't mean a zombie. People who have no enjoyment of life, as I, as I mentioned. Instead, it's a superior type of being, which we develop by acquiring tranquility, which is right view. All these, uh, these, these, this, this, this way we have to learn to live, all comes down to increasing an energy in us, correct? Yes. Of not lying not hurting, not stealing. It all comes down to that because we're all energy, correct? Yes. And as long as we go ahead and attack these defects, we get closer to becoming light. Energy is a, relates to consciousness and how we use our consciousness, we expend energy. And now the reason why we have to restrain our mind is to, precisely for that factor, to save energy. Right view conserves our energy so that we can use it to meditate. Because if we are exhausted from a day of being emotionally abused or being emotionally abusive, anger totally destroys the mind and the body and the heart. So that without that spiritual energy, one cannot stabilize the mind and meditate. There's too much chaos. So like the anger and and worrying is an energy that's going to waste, that's hurting you. Yes. But love which is an energy that I, I feel right. that doesn't take away anything. They just build upon it. Yes. We say uh, love is the law, but cognizant love. Love that is born from an awakened perception, right view. Because many people love, but it is uh, egotistical. And, know the, and to know the difference is to possess right view. So we have to analyze ourselves, be observant of our 
mental states, our emotional states, and to see that we are, in truth, not these elements. That's how we save energy. Why? I'm sure you've answered this before, but why has it never been that blatant where it is a science of turning this energy into us instead of just saying, follow these Ten Commandments? Because uh, it just never made sense. This type of science was given secretly, cryptically, for those who were ready to access the deeper levels of knowledge or uh, marifa, specifically. So it was, a, it was a secret teaching for thousands of years, time immemorial, and only recently has been unveiled. Why was this kept? Because it didn't start out that way, did it? No. Because people uh, with this science could abuse the power of God. And uh, it's not my intention to delve too much into the tradition, but just to answer your question specifically, this is a powerful teaching. And it has the capacity to create either an angel or a demon, depending on how we use our will. And so that's why in all religion, ethical discipline is the foundation. Because without moral restraint, without remembrance of the commandments given by the different masters, the perfect men and women, as mentioned in the Sufi scripture, then one will fortify their own desire and therefore deepen their suffering and also the suffering of others. Steiner again. Whenever there's religious, so-called religious groups, and they try to you know, preach to you and say, well, this is the way it's done, or try to get mental dominance over you. So there's one thing they all lack, and that's compassion for other human beings. Right. And, that's to be part of this. and uh, the nature of God is compassion. Um, I saw, I, I forgot what book I read it through. Um, they talk about how in the past certain individuals would take uh, drugs to enhance a spiritual uh, experience. Right. And you also stated that you're, you leave yourself open to dark forces. Right. But what is the drug doing to an individual who does experience a spiritual uh, experience. Uh, so there, there are certain plants and substances utilized by especially indigenous tribes, which in the past were very considered very sacred. Even to this day, those tribes uh, in certain cultures, they still render respect to the, the soul, the plant, and the elementals. The problem is that many of the individuals who do engage in these type of substances like peyote or ayahuasca, they don't, they're, they're not initiates, meaning they're not spiritual masters with a lot of command over the elementals of nature. Therefore, they just take these substances and have, and basically those substances are psychedelic, meaning delia, psychedelia, delia is drug, drug for the mind. It produces a type of experience because it's a very powerful substance. But are they activating the pineal gland? Is that what they're, what's happening? That why they're having this? It can, but in most cases it's subjective because uh, a lot of people, what a lot of people don't know is the original plants used like peyote to increase imagination used to be uh, from very specific places on the earth. Now there are uh, individuals who ingest peyote now which are t basically uh, taken from other sources, other places, which don't have that purity. Uh, and uh, most importantly, those individuals don't have spiritual development to really command the elemental. So the elementals won't do anything, but personally I don't advise anyone taking substances of any nature because we don't need them to awaken. 
Many people take smoke marijuana and they basically they fortify the ego. Those drugs take the perceptions of the mind and they strengthen it in hell. Yeah. That's why, uh, just to continue, that's that's why uh, in Dante's Inferno the drug addicts are in the abyss. That's why you're not supposed to ex expect anything because in due time, when you're ready, you're ready. And God will uh, give you experiences when we're working. And when we accept and are patient. Now, personally, in the in the, I received such help in the internal planes from a certain group of angels. I won't explain more detail, but they gave me a certain uh, substance to give me a samadhi to help me stay conscious and awake in the dream state. Now, I never asked for that. I never went out of my way to pray, please, I want to have this experience. Instead, they, they came to me and, you know, we're going to, they said, we're going to help you. You need to have, you need to receive something very important. So these masters did, they were very, they were completely awakened angels. And they gave me a certain substance that produced the conscious awakening in the astral plane. Now, uh, people who take drugs and substances physically, they uh, do so at a great risk because they don't, uh, they just fortify the ego. When a master gives you a substance, especially in the internal planes, and you know that this is an angel speaking to you, then take it, and then you're receiving a special kind of help. But personally, uh, we can experience these type of things not through drugs, but through our own discipline. That's why uh, the abstention from intoxicants was a foundation of Buddhism and any religion. Even in Islam, they say you can't drink alcohol. Because alcohol awakens the clairvoyance of the ego, the vision of the ego. So I say don't, for students who are uh, studying this doctrine, we don't take drugs. Because that will only fortify the, the negative perceptions of animal desire, which is hell. It's not objective. It's interesting, again, Carlos Castaneda, Don Juan is teaching. Even, even Don Juan warned him, he says, you mentioned before, he says, there's entities out there that want to seduce you. He said, it's very dangerous out there. He said, the weed will bring you to their presence or bring them to you. The peyote gypsum weed or something else they mentioned. Yeah. Again, but but <laughs> and Carlos Castaneda said, why did you do this to me, Don Juan? He says, because, well, Don Juan was kind of a bottom line guy. He says, he says, your mind was so directed. He said, toward materialistic things and rational things. He said, and this was his words, I had to blast you. But I mean, but still, I want to go there, drugs. <laughs> but it's interesting to see what he said and what he went through. He said, there are dangerous entities out there that if they get behold you, they're controlling your mind. And so, and like Steiner said, uh, there's much more to this universe to organize religion and teach you. You know, when you think about these things, you say, well, well no, no drugs, number one. And the right type of spirituality. And certain certain masters in the past would give those kind of uh, special type of substances, like specific kind of peyote, to help awaken clairvoyance. Now, if it's given by a master, and we know personally that it's from a good source, not I mean, I'm not talking physical. I'm talking in the internal planes. Mm -hmm. Then take it by all means. But physically, we are easily manipulated in a sleep. We are unaware of many forces that are active. That's why uh, no drugs. But just develop your discipline and you will have uh, spiritual experiences. Any other questions? Could you um, define for me again um, Gnostic religion? Gnosis is, in Greek means knowledge. Okay. And the term we used is uh, in Arabic is marifa. 
it's the same teaching given in different languages. And this type of knowledge that we've been discussing is our own knowledge of God. That is gnosis. And so what we explain through imagination, inspiration, and intuition pertains to how we come to know God. First, we develop self-knowledge. We observe ourselves throughout the day. We are vigilant. We are learning to perceive with the eyes of the spirit, separating from animal desire, developing the consciousness within. Specifically, gnosis is, uh, first is we know ourselves, and then we know God as a result. So for he who knows himself knows his Lord, specifically. So in order to attain that knowledge, we need to first observe, know ourselves. That leads to the direct experience of the divine. That was probably one of the biggest uh, you know, things that I was, I, you know, something that awoke me, because I, I grew up Catholic also, is that it just seems reverse of how the Catholic Church is, like baptism is the first thing you do when you're born. But in truth, you're not baptized until, until you ascend. You know? right. So it's just tradition, but in truth, it's kind of backwards. And baptism pertains to working with the waters of spirituality, which is precisely the sexual aspect of the teaching. And uh, again, we talk about the waters of the mind. Those become stable when we stabilize ourselves with the waters of our, of our body, the energies, specifically the seminal forces, whether the ovum and the woman or the sperm and the man, those energies have the potential when we use breathing practices to awaken imagination. Because the brain is nourished by the energies of sexuality, which is the rites of holy matrimony, the perfect matrimony, which uh, the Roman Catholic Church unfortunately removed as uh, really the essential teaching of Christianity specifically. Any other questions? During your lecture, I dream animals frequently. Sure. I have since I was a child. So when I have those dreams, should I examine? Not, not necessarily, because you may have an experience where you're seeing animals. It could be symbolic. Okay. could be uh, your being maybe showing you representations of uh, certain defects that you may have. Right, could right. represent the ego. It could represent. It could. There's there's different interpretations of animals. Like you have the in uh, Christianity or in uh, the Old Testament, you have the what's known as the Hayot Hakadosh, which is the holy creatures of Ezekiel, the bull, the lion, the man, uh, the angel, and the and the bull, lion, angel, and uh, the eagle. eagle. And so those animals can represent something very divine. But typically, what we experience of our own animality, we, we may be seeing that. But the only way for you to know is to remember those experiences in meditation and to go deeper because there's many, uh, symbols can have dual meaning. Uh, it can be uh, subjective, it can be objective. There's loads of meaning. And when you look at any dream dictionary, they have all kinds of symbols. Have a lot so of dictators. So the way to understand uh, symbolism, which God may give us, is to study this doctrine and to study the scriptures and to know the different symbols of religion. Because if we see a cross in the internal planes, it means we are going to have suffering. As taught by the path of Jesus. Or if you see water, it represents the waters of the energies we've been working with in uh, exercises like pranayama. It means that we're acquiring stability and purity in our consciousness. When you, read, you mentioned pranayama a number of times. Is that like 
It is inter it is really integral to meditation. We didn't explain it uh, fully in depth because it requires a lot of attention. But pranayama is simply to yoke the energies of the body that we have. Prana is life. Through breathing. Through breathing. Yama. Yama means to yoke. So we have life in our body known as prana, which is precisely our sexual matter, whether semen and man or woman. Because men and women both possess that seminal fluid, whether it's ovum or it's sperm. Now that energy, through working with the breath and conserving that force and never spilling it, that energy will elevate to the mind and will stabilize our consciousness. This is part of the meaning of uh, to establish awe of duty and vigilance in one's relationship to God. To have awe of duty is to, again, respect the practices that we fulfill in our relationship to God. And part of that uh, practice is specifically to work with what's known as transmutation, to transform an inferior substance into a superior substance. We transform our seminal matter into the light and energy of the Christ. Is the meaning there. It's an energy. Prana is life in our body. So we need to save that prana, those forces, and work with mantra, sacred words, sacred vows, in order to activate the superior faculties of perception. So two different um, examples of that would be the seminal fluids that you transmute from lead into gold, and the same thing as breathing, where you take in the air and make it uh, uh, to what? The Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a... Again, the force known as Kundalini, sacred when you fire. Breathe in the air. What does it become when you consciously? When we uh, when we take in when we take in prana through the nostrils, we take in the vital forces of nature. So it's good to practice the kind of exercises by the uh, ocean or the lakefront specifically, because uh, there's a lot of vitality there. And so that prana enters our organism. It stimulates the sacred energies of sexuality, and then. Through the inhalation, we bring those energies inward and upward to illuminate the brain. So the super, so the force of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God in sexuality, is only awakened in a matrimony, as we've been discussing. But in that uh, teaching itself, by awakening that fire in a matrimony, is how we produce the halo of the saints. Is imagery important when breathing? Uh, in some exercises, yes. We learn to visualize uh, what's known as the idan pingala. These two energetic channels that intertwine up the spinal column. Uh, you can visualize your pineal gland when you're doing certain mantras. And I'll give you an exercise you can use for to activate imagination. It's uh, the mantra INRI. Ignis natura renovatur integra in Latin. And so INRI represents fire renews nature incessantly. So in this practice, you just sit, you visualize your brain. The, you pronounce the mantras in. With a high pitched rolling R. So that energy, that energy, that mantra activates the pineal gland, the pituitary gland between the eyebrows. And when we visualize that light entering our, the light of Christ entering our brain, it activates our psychological centers and it awakens clairvoyance. How critical is the R? Because I'm having a difficult problem. You don't need to. Uh, with practice, you will develop it. It's a, it's a powerful, it's actually a vowel. People think there's only seven vowels in nature. I mean, five vowels in English. But really, there are many vowels in nature, mainly seven. But the, the word or is a, activates the chakra of the brain 
related to Ain Sof specifically in Kabbalah, our real being. You mentioned about the, the prana. It's good always to go by the ocean, near water, especially the ocean. Well, first thing in the morning, from what I read anyway, the sun somehow activates when it hits the atmosphere of the earth. The prana is there too. You fall in the air as it is near the ocean. Right. But isn't that that's also a pretty direct uh, link? To when the, the there's a there's a certain magical forces present when uh, sun rises, which is why it's good to practice in the early morning. Especially if we work with our practices of uh, visualization and uh, imagination, specifically, uh, we learn to take those vital forces that are present in the atmosphere, known as the tattvas, yeah. or uh, adi and samadhi tattva in Hinduism, the very powerful forces related to Christ, the energy of uh, life. And uh, those uh, energies, when we work in the early morning, help to develop uh, profound cognizance. Specifically, if we look at, uh, if we develop clairvoyance in the morning or practice visualization exercises in the morning, such as the mantra Indri. So, you got in, Indri, Endre, Ondro, Undru, and your liver is Andra, the, va- the lungs. So, the vowel E relates with, uh, we pronounce that mantra, vibrates in the chakra, or the, the, the crown, and in between the eyebrows. So you have uh, those two chakras. And then E eh in the throat, O in the heart, U in the solar plexus, A is in the lungs. But then we have the vowel M in the, in the uh, sexual organs. And then we have the vowel S, which is the fire. These mantras can help us to activate imagination. So they help stabilize the mind. So in relation to this lecture, uh, mantra helps us to strengthen our free consciousness and to help us to control our mind because mantra literally in sanskrit means mind protection how we guard our mind against negativity so that's why throughout the day if we can learn to mantralize internally different mantras to help us remember our being such as om masi padme hum or many long mantras like Krim, krishnaya govindaya gopijana valabaya swaha different uh, mantras which have a tremendous power and they're available in the books that we have what's the difference essentially between uh, prayer and meditation prayer is to talk with god to meditate is to receive information so it's really they're synonymous when we meditate we seek to receive information from god so that's uh, when we receive that information through imagination we are inspired by the symbols we receive and then we have to intuit their meaning. So you shouldn't do them both together? Like, let's say you sit there and you speak to God, and then you meditate. And meditation is prayer. So when I, I guess I've kind of caught myself that I, I, I give prayer, I meditate, like in that sequence how I'm asking. Right. Then I to receive, and then I kind of keep doing that over and over again. But is that kind of hurting me? Prayer is uh, when it's sincere, is uh, what opens an access or communication to our being. Prayer is simply to communicate with God. When a when a child says, "Mother, Father, help me," you don't need a formula to really receive the attention of your parents or your your family. Now, um, when we pray. It doesn't have to be with words. It can just simply, mother, father, my being. Your being will be present with you. What's matter, what matters is your sincerity. 
And meditation is our relationship to God. It's the same meaning. So when we meditate, we always pray constantly, if need be, to order to control our mind and, and to dominate our thoughts. You know, prayer is uh, essential to developing clairvoyance because it's that humility and relationship to God that allows one to attain deeper states of being. You know, it says in, Shakespeare, it says in the play Hamlet by Shakespeare, one of the characters who committed murder says, My words fly up to heaven, my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. So if we just give words and we're reciting formula, but there's no heart, God doesn't listen. But if you just are sincere and you say, my, my being, help me, God responds. And often that ha- that'll happen when we're meditating, you receive an image or an experience. Any other questions? So in synthesis, just to conclude, red view is how we perceive life. And meditation is deepening our spiritual perception. So again, uh, I invite you to study the literature we have available so that you can understand in a deeper way what this science of meditation really is. So I thank you very much for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.